Welcome to Reframe Your Mindset for Success. With me today is Ron Carucci. Ron has a 30-year track record of helping organizations adopt strategies that lead to accelerated growth and designing programs to execute those strategies. He's also a two-time TED speaker and the best-selling author of eight books, including the Amazon number one, Rising to Power, and has recently released, to be honest, Lead with the Power of Truth, Justice and Purpose. Ron is a regular contributor also to the Harvard Business Review. And I'm really looking forward to having Ron on the podcast today. Welcome to Reframe Your Mindset for Success. With me today is Ron Carucci. How are you doing, Ron? Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm really good, really good. How are you? I'm great, I'm great. Nice to talk to you. That, that's good. So, so what, what have you been up to today and this week, Ron? What, what are your plans? Oh, gosh, it's been a busy work week. <clears throat> it's been a little bit of a sad week. I had to attend a funeral uh, of a dear friend um, yesterday. So that has me definitely, um, my mindset is definitely, you know, on a, on a bigger picture this week. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, it's, oh, sorry those, to hear. Those, are the, those are always the moments that make life suddenly bring it into shop focus. Um, so, uh, and, uh, other than that, helping my clients and, um, you know, helping my, the world be a better place through the work we do at my firm. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, I mean, you know, obviously we do any, any, any funeral that you go to, it really does make you think about the bigger picture, doesn't it? And about life in general. And, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that that's been a start of your week, Dan. I um, appreciate that too, Paul. Mm. Great stuff. So, Ron, I, I always start the podcast with focusing on you and your story. So, and, and I have many words you, you want to share it with us. It's, it's kind of a, an over to you, please. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, uh, I'm a native New Yorker. Uh, and I'm, you know, for those of you who know the, this part of the country uh, over in the UK, you know that uh, New York is made up of a lot of different people. But certainly uh, back in the day when my parents were there, I was full of a lot of Italian Americans. Uh, and I come from a classic New York Italian family. So all the TV shows you've seen, including the Sopranos, um, <laughs> those are those are just like I grew up in. <laughs> um, and so uh, I'm the youngest of five in my family. Yeah. Um, and I went to school in New York City. Um, I trained in the arts, uh, but f- quickly learned that I, I tend to bore easily. So doing the same thing eight times a week was probably not going to be a good career for me. Um, I eventually found my way into organizational psychology and learn that I get to deal with everybody's story in a very different way. And uh, that was never going to bore me. So uh, I pivoted my career early in my career. I was very fortunate to figure out uh, something that I love and I'm passionate about. I spent a bunch of years working, uh, doing my work, helping leaders and organizations develop themselves inside big companies. But I, I also learned that I didn't have quite the, the, the political, savvy skills to navigate that world. I, I learned that um, telling the truth and being honest about what I was seeing, which is what I thought I was hired to do, wasn't, wasn't such a good idea all the time. And so uh, <laughs> I, 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 as I began to sort of in between those jobs, um, work in the consulting world, I quickly observed that the same behavior that got me in trouble inside companies got me paid very well outside companies. Right. Uh, yeah. So I made I, I made the decision that if I was going to live out my passion for organizations, it was going to have to be by not being part of one. Yeah. 
and then pivoted my life to consulting and then um, joined a wonderful consulting firm in New York City uh, and spent eight years there learning a lot and, uh, and growing in my craft and intent increasing my passion for changing the world this way. And then uh, at the end of that time, a few of my friends there and I decided we wanted to continue this work. Um, that that firm had been sold to a bigger firm. And so once that had happened, it, it really stopped being fun. And we thought we can do this on our own now. We can go create our own way to do this uh, and still keep our love of this work yeah. intact. So 18 years ago, we started Navalent, the firm that I help lead today uh, right. and have been at that ever since, changing the world and changing lives and getting up every day uh, with the incredible privilege of knowing that we get to leave the world better than we found it. Brilliant, brilliant. And, and you know, the, the work you do with leaders is is, is that, you know, at CEO level and senior leadership, or is it throughout the organization? You know, how, how would you describe it? Well, it's mostly senior, senior folks, people who are leading large parts of their organization or leading universities or leading countries even. Oh, brilliant. Um, but people who are who are somehow facing some very daunting requirement or opportunity for big change. Yeah, no, it makes sense that 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 culture change, and and I, and I guess you know, with, with being in business for for eighteen years, you, you know, we we haven't experienced change like we've exp you know experienced it in the last three or four years with the pandemic, lockdown, and you know everything else that's been going on in the world. Just just more of recently, it's been very volatile. So, so how, how have you found that just out of interest as well? You know, Paul, it's, um, I think um, it seems to be that when, when the world is facing a challenge, we get busier. Yeah. Somehow when crisis shows up, leaders are more prone to ask for help. And so for us, it has meant being more, more busy. We've always been a virtual firm. So for us, okay. Okay. the rest of the world going virtual was just sort of them catching up. But we've always been a virtual firm. Oh, wow. um, that's, 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 you know, cause the, I think for, you know, a lot of people and a lot of businesses, they, it was obviously the need that made them jump to the virtual world rather than that there wasn't that many companies that I knew of that were working virtually really well. So it was something that you were doing well before the, the pandemic hit then. Right. We, we, we did it before it was fashionable. <laughs> um, I but, like that. but what's nice is that our, now our clients are recognizing you know, and I think the whole world is still learning, you know, what to do when, you know, when do you have to come together in the same yeah. space? When can you, what technologies work best for doing certain virtual things? What things can't you do virtually? And even we had to adapt. I mean, there were certain types of work that we do that we would always do in person. We would go together for several days with a team yeah. away. And now we're learning how to adapt, um, um, you know, and do do the same work we do, just doing it virtually, uh, yeah. in shorter in shorter chunks of time, because you can't have people on Zoom for eight hours. Mm. I know that's 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 absolutely right. You know, and I I know back before the pandemic, working for the likes of Bank of America, global organization, the you know, but when you've got it, that global entity, you've got to do things virtually to develop leaders, and you know that was the case. It's as you say though, it's, it's now a lot more fashionable because everybody else has caught on. And it's the way that everybody's doing it now, but um, and getting that balance right—that really is the—it really is the trick. So, as as you know, Ron, and I, I look at it and I go, well, mindset and leadership go hand in hand. And as you know, the podcast is about reframing your mindsets uh, for success. So, based on what you do and the work that you do with leaders and organizations, and and just for you in general, why is mindset so important? 
Well, uh, gosh, I mean, it's, it's kind of foundational to everything, isn't it, Paul? I think how we show up in the world and how we, how we make sense of the world, um, most leaders are, are anything but mindful about their mindset. Um, most leaders are reflexive. Most of, their, uh, most of our, our responses in the world are subconscious. Yeah. And if, it, when we don't learn to take, um, take hold of our minds and understand how we're processing information, how we're filtering information, how we're interpreting the world around us, we have no way of optimizing our own participation in it. Um, you know, we all, we all have places where we're, we're not at our best, right? We all, one of the things I love to do with leaders um, is ask them <clears throat> to go back through their calendars in the last, you know, 10 days or two weeks and pick out several moments where they were less than their best selves, yeah. where they were, where they uh, embellished data to their boss or withheld hard feedback from someone they lead because they didn't want to deal with a defensive response or they were not kind to the barista at the coffee shop or they were sort of blew out their kids. What, what you will find is that those moments are not random. Yeah. Those moments are all serving a purpose. Um, we may not always understand what that purpose is, but we choose those moments very carefully, even though they're not behaviors we would condone. And we would say that those behaviors don't align with our values but still, we choose them anyway. And I think until we can come to the to, to terms with why we choose behaviors we know we would never want to be, we can't change our mindsets. But but right. but there are reasons. Those right. behaviors are serving a purpose. And until we can understand what that narrative is that's driving our choices, we can't change. Yeah, it's, it's, you know that that's fascinating because you know I see some of that because of the type of person that you, you know, you're working with and you go, well, if someone's introverted, it might drive different behaviors to someone who's extroverted. Or if someone's more of a feeling type than a logical type, then you might see different types of behaviors and they're not always the right behaviors, as you say, but the more attuned to the type of person that you're working with. I'm so, so that's, that's fascinating. So, so how, how would you describe your mindset then? I mean, obviously you've been very successful in business all of these years. And developed leaders at a very senior level, you know, as you're saying, working with universities and countries as well. But how would you actually describe your mindset? Um, I don't know that I can, I would describe it in one way, Paul, but I think I, I at least my intention is to, to stay curious, to yeah. stay open, um, to always be learning, um, uh, to to self-regulate in moments where I'm feeling stressed or anxious or to, to know when I'm triggered, to know when I'm, you know, I'm in a situation or around people or in conditions where I'm, I might be predisposed not to be my best self, to at least be mindful of that. And to know, you know, I, I always have choices available to me when I want to react a certain way or be angry or be impatient or be snarky. Um, to be, to at least be consider to at least consider what other options I have available to me in those moments. Sometimes that's hard. Yeah. Um, but at least that's how I, you know, I mean, I certainly, I, I try to begin my day uh, with gratitude to be thankful for the fact that I'm part of a bigger story. Um, uh, in fact, I have, and I think one of the things that people with good mindsets do is they have rituals. Yeah. They have, they have practices. And I have a closet full of coffee mugs in the, in the kitchen next to my office. 
And every morning, and, and all those mugs come from different parts of the world and represent different types of experiences I've had with certain people that are important to me. And every morning when I pick my mug, it's sort of me picking a part of my story and a part of my life Brilliant. that I'm grateful for and to, to, and to remember that I'm part of a bigger story and that others have contributed to that story. So I start my day by remembering that I'm not the center of the universe and nor are my problems or challenges. Um, and to you know, start with a place of, of, of being grateful for all the parts, in, even the hard parts of the story I get to be part of. Yeah, no, that, that, that's brilliant. So I really like that. And I say here you like coffee too. <laughs> I do. I do like coffee. <laughs> I'm, I'm a coffee drinker, so I like my coffee first thing in the morning. And yeah, I like the way that you take those mugs out and the way that you just explain that. It's brilliant. So, so you know, when you when you look at mindset, because you know what I do ask on the on the podcast is, you know, that, that that's just in itself is a great practical tool technique. You you talked about rituals. Do you, do you have any other mindset tips or techniques that you could share? Well, I think, um, you know, I, I think mindfulness, you know, the, which is the practice of managing our mindset. Yeah. Um, it's for a lot of leaders, it's for a lot of people. It sounds really voodooish and really woo-woo and can be very um, easy to dismiss or be anxious about. But I think... If we were all to bring, I mean, here's the question I love to ask people who, um, who, who hear the word mindset and get a little bit skittish. Um, I'll ask them, have you ever driven home from work um, and then gotten home and, and having really no idea how you got there? I have loads of times. And they say it all the time. And I'll yeah. say, well, how do you do that? How, if you're not really paying attention to the road and just you sort of, how, how is it that you go on autopilot, don't have a car accident, know how to stop at the stop signs and the traffic lights and you actually get home to your driveway um, without thinking about it? Um, and they can't answer. And my next question is, well, if you can do that driving home, are there other parts of your life that could be on autopilot that maybe you're not aware of? Um Absolutely. And if if that's the case, are there places where your life might be on autopilot where it's not good for it to be on autopilot? Are there relationships you participate in? Are there habits you wouldn't want people to know about? <laughs> uh, are there um, places where you act in certain ways that afterwards you say to yourself, why do I do that? Or why do I keep doing that? And people will say, sure, we all have those. I'm like, yeah, we all do, but we don't have to, we don't have to keep them. But those are all the places where mindset becomes important yeah. because those are all the places where things are showing up in your life that are causing you or other people pain. Um, and uh, unless you understand what brings you to those choices in the first place or what conditioning that you're not conscious of that leads you to, to act that way, you know, um, uh, in, in without thinking about it, you know, when you when you have a a, a a tough meeting with your boss, and the next thing you know, you're headed to the pub and pouring a scotch, or you have a fight with your spouse, and the next thing you know, you're online looking at porn, or you have um, you get some really unfair feedback from your boss or your colleague on your work. And the next thing you know is you're on Amazon shopping for yourself. Yeah. Right. We, we don't ever, ever connect the dots between cause and effect 
But there are reasons, there are always reasons we do the things we do. And if we're not mindful of what those reasons are, that means those behaviors are governing us. We're not governing them. Um, that's how addictions start. That's how bad habits start. That's where, that's where the places we do self-destructive things begin. Um, and suddenly we're crossing over lines we thought we'd never cross. Uh, and suddenly we find ourselves in places or in circumstances that really are problematic. Um, and we look behind us and think, how, how did I get here? Well, it's not just same way you got home from work without thinking about it is how you got here. And um, it's better to start thinking about governing your mindset and, and being mindful of how, how and why you do the things you do and think the things you think before you get to the place you have to ask yourself, how did I get here? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, in some respects, it's a little bit like default settings, isn't it? That we're conditioned by every experience that you have default settings and they can be positive or negative. But actually, if you keep playing the same program over and over again, and as you're quite rightly saying, you can have positive outcomes, but you can have very negative outcomes as well. Yep. yep. And I think, I mean, that's, I mean, we have to remember that our brains are very lazy organs. Our brains do not like to work hard. They, our brains are processing millions and millions and millions of pieces of information a day. We don't have we don't have the electricity in our brains sufficient to do all that consciously. So our brains create pathways. They create you know connections, and then they go on autopilot um, because we don't. Our brains do not want to have to. They don't have the. Our brains don't have the capacity to process consciously all the things we have to do during the day. Um, it doesn't mean we can't do it consciously. It doesn't mean we can't be more mindful of what those pathways are. But to your point about default settings, once we once we do something once or twice, that pathway is formed. And uh, it, it may have produced some satisfying results, maybe in not the, not the healthiest of ways, but suddenly we now have a way to do that without having to think about it. Yeah, no, it makes absolutely sense. So, so, you know, over the years, you know, from, from young, grown up, being in business, who's actually helped to develop your mindset over the years? Any inspirations that you've taken from? Oh, my gosh. Um, I think there are lots of people I've read. You know, there are, there are certain authors I, I love to listen to or, or read about. Um, I think, I'm, I mean, I think talking, I mean, I think we should all have a place we process life with, whether it's a coach or a therapist or um, a spiritual advisor of some kind, I think we all benefit because when we're when we're talking out loud and processing with in the presence of somebody else, we make things visible that normally aren't. And I think you know, I think we're all. I think we're designed. If you think about how interesting enough, we we can't see our own face. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think the reason for that is I think we need other people to read us. We need other people to interpret us. Um, and we all we all are. I mean, you think about, um, you know, the fact that we are all topics of somebody's conversation that we're not in on. Do we yeah. do we know what they're saying or are we, are we making up in our heads what we think they're saying? And are we right? I think having a place uh, where we can talk about life with other people um helps us understand how others see our face oh, that's really interesting that's a really interesting thought definitely so so over over the years and you know 
you've you've obviously travelled wide, and I know you do a lot of stuff virtually to to develop leaders um, at the same time. Have you, have you got any funny stories that you know maybe maybe something's gone wrong or you know something that you can share with the listeners that from your escapades and your travels? Well, I, I mean, gosh, I've had way too many airport mishaps to <laughs> to, to count. Um, but here's a funny one from recently. Now we can't do this on video, but um, you know, imagine when you pick up your phone. We're so, you know, and we're looking at a picture, and we want to zoom in. We take our thumb and our forefinger on our pointer finger, and we sort of, you know, wipe over the picture to make it bigger, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's routine. Well, a few weeks ago, I was looking at a photograph that was hanging on my refrigerator that would was that. Would, they were the magnet of my children from a long time ago. And there was something on the wall uh, hanging on behind them uh, at the house we lived in at the time. And I couldn't see what it was. So I picked the picture off of the refrigerator. <laughs> I, I squinted. And then I took my thumb and my forefinger and literally started trying to make the photograph bigger. And it took me like four seconds of frustration of why isn't this working to realize what I was doing. <laughs> And I, I, I broke, I mean, I broke out in laughter because I was, there was no consequence there, but to realize, oh my gosh, I'm so used to picking up my phone or my iPad or on my computer, using my thumb and my pointer finger to actually br bring things closer into view for me, that I just assumed I could do it with a picture too. And it was a, it was a <laughs> funny moment, true. but I, I think it was so telling <laughs> yeah. to me. And of course, my wife came in and said, what are you laughing? And I said, I said, here's what I'm doing. And she immediately laughed too. It was a good la good laugh. But um, how many places, you know, were on, you know, to your use your word, it was my default setting. You know, when you can't, when you're squinting at a picture, use your yeah. thumb and your finger to fix it. And it, it goes to show how much the world's changed, doesn't it? As well, you know, I I kind of look at it and go, you know, the, the the mobile phone just in itself is the if it if it ever goes missing, you know, it always used to be you 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 misplace your keys and then you'd be like. Wherever put my keys, but now it's your phone. And oh yeah, your, your phone can actually be on you, but it's not in the pocket that you think it's in. And you have a mobile phone like knee jerk reaction because you're trying to find your phone, and it's like well, you know what and, I mean. And what's, and what's so interesting, Paul, is when you when you it's that what what's the first response? It's not always oh, my phone. It's it's panic. Yeah, yeah, it's, an, panic, it's, yeah. it's a I've lost I mean, my phone. and and it's like panic. Oh my god, um, how I can't do without it. Yeah. And panic! Oh my God, my information will get stolen. Like, there's yeah. there are legitimate reasons to panic yeah, when you like can't panic, and there's yeah. stupid reasons to panic. Um, but you know, and and why did and why is it and most especially why isn't it in the place you thought it was and you, where you always put it? You know, where did you deviate from your routine that you don't pay much attention to? That suddenly you put your phone somewhere where you never put it. You know, absolutely, absolutely, and that's part of it. Then you know, to the point of the same with keys, isn't it? Some some points, if you can't find them, you start blaming other people. I haven't done anything, and it's like because you know you've normally got this routine and default setting that, that you recognise that you're proud of in a way, and then you can't find. I, I just find it amusing. And I don't, I don't know if it's us men that do it more than than, than the ladies. I'm not too sure because that's what my wife says. But um, <laughs> it is quite funny in this day and age. But the mobile phone, it just goes to show you. You know, with our lives, it's like God. It's like your life's on your phone, and that's why yeah. there's panic. You know, there literally is panic. And the next thing, it's like your phone's like 
just just the other side of the table or something. You're like, oh god, what was I panicking for? It's just right. amazing the way life's changed, though. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have had my glasses on top of my head. <laughs> yeah. Where are my glasses? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I'm re really insightful. So you know, go, going back to the work that you do with, with leaders, then you know, and, and obviously talking through, you know, we've been focused on mindset and talking about the importance of mindset and that. You know, I know that when it comes to developing leaders, you know, that there's certain skills and competencies that we can look at at times, but sometimes that doesn't matter. I mean, you do you do need the right level of competency and skill set, but at the same time, if you haven't got the right level of mindset to go with it, you're not going to see behavioral change or culture change or any shift in the organization. So, you know, from the work that you do, is it is it mindfulness leadership that you, that you develop in organizations? Is, is, is that how you describe it? Well, no, no, I, I don't use that word mostly because it triggers people in ways that, that aren't helpful. And, and in the wrong way, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's a, and I don't think it's always helpful to use language that's been hijacked by something else. But, um, you know, self-awareness is certainly an always a, right. yeah. um, a, a, a fair bet for the region. But what I'm always, in, what, you know, where I'm, when I'm working with an individual executive, um, you know, uh, that's working on, on, changing a, uh, a behavior that's not productive or trying to build new skills that they need for a new assignment. Um, you know, I, I have to go back, especially for behaviors that are resistant to technique, right? So I'll say, okay, here's some techniques you can use to do this. But when the, when the behavior is resistant to change, that tells me that there's a bigger root to that, that choice. It's yeah. a, you know, it's fear or it's anxiety or it's anger or it's some trauma from your childhood. And so we have to go back. We have to go go back to the origins, the origin stories that taught you this behavior in the first place. And sometimes leaders don't like doing that, but um, it's always very transformative and very liberating when they're able to finally unlock something they've worked on for so long and haven't been able to change to realize that it had a much longer tail than they understood. Right. So, so it's very much a coaching approach in a, in a way. And I, and I guess at times a little bit of counseling then, depending on what you explore and what you find out. Sure, absolutely. I mean, it's a uh, the, the the boundaries between consulting and and coaching and therapeutic work and uh, all other kind. Of, I mean, the boundaries are all blurred now because we realize that it takes a multidisciplinary approach to help real change stick. Right with you. Okay. So so you know just just to conclude. I mean, I had a couple of questions I've got just just to to finish off with. You know, the the consultancy that you run. You know, you've been running for for eighteen years. How would you describe the, the, the consultancy and the, the work that you do for organizations? What, what would be your unique selling points? So Navalent uh, is the name of our firm, and we are a leadership and organizational firm that helps leaders, you know, realize the, the transformational changes they're pursuing. We, our code language is um, within, between, among. We, we recognize that change has to take place within you, sometimes deep within you between you and others, between your your function and another function, between your division and another division, and among you, meaning strategically, culturally, structurally, you know, systemically. Um, and it has to be all three. You, you know, you have plenty of people out there that will just do coaching work within, or they'll do team building between, or they'll do, you know, some other change work strategically or culturally among, but they just do one. And the reality is you can do one or two of those brilliantly, but if you leave one out, eventually the change will fall short or you'll regress because, you know, you'll do the inner work with somebody's 
within, but you don't, you don't change the relationships. Or you'll change the relationships, but you don't, you don't change the culture. Or you change the culture, but you don't build the individual skill, right? So, yeah, yeah. You know, and so we, I think what makes us very unique is that we do all, we focus on all three and we don't see them as three things. We see it as one thing. Oh, that's brilliant. I like that. It's really, really good. Really good. So, so to leave the, the listeners with one last piece of advice, um, what, what piece of advice would you leave them with today? Yeah, I will. I, I would go back to my question from before and ask you, what's the thing that brings you to say in your life? Why do I keep doing that? Um, and, and linger a little bit longer on that question because there's an answer. Um, and it's not just that you don't have willpower or not just that there's, this is just a quirk of who you are. It's not some genetic defect. There's a reason you do it. And I would ask you to, to consider what is it you're telling yourself about the fact that it's not going to get worse? How have you rationalized the, oh, it's, you know, it's just my quirk. Or it's just who I am. Or God, I wish I would stop doing that, but what are you going to do? No one's perfect. And listen to the, the ways you've made it okay. Um, but, but ask yourself if, if a, if a, if a video montage were made of you, uh, of all those moments where you do that thing you wish you didn't do, and then someone took that video, would you be okay with them using that video to train your children? Wow. That, that's, that, that's really powerful. Yeah. I, I really like that. Well, Ron, thanks very much for, for coming on the podcast. It's, it's been really insightful. Um, thanks for sharing you know, obviously your leadership journey and as well, you know, the insights into your mindsets and mindset tools and tips and techniques that you've shared today. So thank you very much. Paul, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So it's been amazing having Ron on the podcast today, talking all things leadership and mindset. You know, Ron works with leaders to uncover their origin stories that deep coaching and strategy within organizations. And what I loved was Ron sharing with us some of his mindset tips and techniques. You know, he talked about the importance of rituals first thing in the morning and his different mugs for the day. I really, really enjoyed that. And he also talked about taking back control of our minds because otherwise we run on autopilot. And if we let it, our minds can then, you know, have negative impacts in our life if we don't take back control. And I love that, that end point around, you know, why do we keep doing this and really thinking about that? Some real nuggets of advice from Ron today on how to reframe your mindset. For being asked to captain kickball at recess and pick teams and later facing the anger of our friends we didn't pick and learning that sometimes having power means making these formative experiences shape our predispositions early in life and they accompany us right into adulthood. For some, these lessons teach us that power is bad and therefore not always to be trusted. Futurist Alvin Toffler in his 1990 world-changing book, Power Shift, said, despite the bad odor that clings to the very notion of power because of the misuses to which it has been put, power is neither good nor bad. It's an inescapable aspect of every human relationship. To a greater degree than most of us imagine, we are all the products of power. 
25 years later, my firm commissioned a 10-year longitudinal study of more than 2,700 people and confirmed that, indeed, the greatest misuse of power wasn't for self-interest. No. The most astounding finding in our study was, despite the misconception that power is misused for personal or immoral gain, was that people didn't overindulge power nearly to the degree that they simply chose not to use it at all. A full 60% of the people in our study struggled with the notion that people ascribe more power to them than they actually believe they had themselves. Whether for fear of being judged or fear of making a mistake, for some, abandoning power just seemed easier and safer. And the saddest waste of all that power is that all of the good it could do to change the world goes unrealized. 